Okay. Thank you, Mark. Well, here we are again. Um, as Mark said, we have another break next Sunday. And um, we'll, we'll, we will come back into 1 Corinthians. And uh, this evening, it's chapter 14. And I particularly want to go into that chapter. Just want you to look in chapter 11 first. Um, if you look in chapter 11, I think I've mentioned to you before about the, uh, the fact that right the way through these particular chapters, 11, 12, 13, 14, you're really in the subject of when the church is gathered together. So, uh, for instance, if you look in verse 17 of chapter 11, uh, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse, and you come together. And, of course, when you come into chapter 14 and uh, you come into verse 26, so chapter 14, verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together? They're like bookends to that section. Really, it's all referring to the gathering of coming together when the church comes together. And... Uh, probably it's good for us all also to, to realise that um, there are hints in these verses of, of two things. The first thing, there is the hint that there were groups, um, house churches, uh, smaller groups, and then there were times when the whole church came together, the whole church came together, when all of them came together. Uh, probably you're aware that architecturally there has been an un uncovering of no property uh, that could possibly have housed more than about 110 people. No room in any property where as many as 110 people could have met together. So what we're looking at is the very real of, of churches that were made up, really house churches, 10, 15 people. A lot of rooms in houses would have taken 40 comfortably and no more. So the, the whole suggestion, of course, uh, is church based on family, um, a sympathetic household, perhaps a wealthy person who had a, a, a property with a room so that in that room, perhaps sometimes the whole church in Corinth. So, you know, chapter one, verse two of, of this letter, one Corinthians 
you you realize that he's he's writing to the church of god which is at corinth he he, he hadn't got no concept paul had no concept of um, a heap of churches in corinth um he just has that knowledge in his mind that there was one church there and this of course is a period um right round about ad 55 so 20 years after the church was born and it, it carries on like that so to my knowledge the bits that i have read books that i have read through the years archaeologists and so on i always remember we had a friend in cyprus and we still got her and her husband he's a veterinarian and she was an archaeologist and once she actually took us to a dig um that she would had been involved in in cyprus um and as they'd opened up the remains of this house and all the uh, the rooms, she took us into it. And there in one of the rooms was this, the way that the Romans would build, they would build the, the, un, the, the heating, the water flowing underneath to kind of centrally heat the building. And there was in one of the larger rooms which would have took about 50 people there was a large area like a bath a large bath sort of built into the water system as they ran the water and she realized it was actually a baptistry for immersing that this obviously had been a wealthy christian household and a, a church would have met there and in the building they had built in to the system the heating system under floor they built in this large baptistry and um it, so there's no record at all of anything large anywhere until of course after the beginning of the 4th century when you have the gatherings, the the event that took place with Constantine and the legalizing of Christianity and the the beginnings of what took place, as you know, larger things, edifices built, the taking over, because when Christianity became the official religion, Constantine brought it in. Other religions were brought under their power and they were not allowed to exist and sometimes the christian congregations took over some of the pagan temples and things like that stripped them of all their stuff mm. but that was all to come about uh, 250 or 300 years later than what we're looking at here the early church and so it's really very very uh, appropriate that we should um I think be very, very serious about a, a very real re-education that the church needs to go through. Um, there would have been absolutely no concept at all of um, uh, in the old Baptist churches, what we used to call a hymn prayer sandwich meeting. 
did you ever call it a hymn prayer sandwich um, meeting where you had hymns and prayers led by the minister and then the minister would give an address and that would be your gathering, your meeting. Certainly would have been no idea at all of having a worship band. Um, it would be no thought of that kind of idea. And then a, a preacher preaching a topical sermon. Um, if we are really to be have really proper Christian meetings, we've actually got to undergo a very serious um, re-education from the Lord. Very serious. Um, there certainly would have been no idea, of course, of, uh, of thoughts like, you know, some places have nowadays where things are dominated by one voice. Um, no thought of that. No, no thought at all of a regular expository preaching and that being the 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 sort of criteria of church and probably speaking really honestly about this these departures of course from god's ways god's ways of simplicity play into the hands really of um well for instance like what happened in China. So when Mao Zedong uh, came into China and China became unified under communism, mm. it was comparatively easy for the church to become uh, infiltrated and controlled by the state, uh, the Methodist churches, the Roman Catholic churches, the Baptist churches, of course, they threw the missionaries out and it was comparatively easy to infiltrate the the colleges where the Chinese pastors were taught and to inter in, 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 come into their into the leaderships of churches, the hierarchy of the churches. And, of course, it was the churches that gathered in a much simpler way that it was more difficult for the, for the authorities to infiltrate them. So in China itself, it's quite well known historically that groups such as under the leadership of Watchman Nee and his workers were much more difficult for them to uh, enter in and infiltrate and control simply because of course those churches proliferated by uh, mechanisms like uh, five or six families Chinese families would have had a burden to perhaps see a new assembly uh, begin in a, a, a town a hundred miles away and they would have gone five or six families with the blessing of the congregation would have moved en masse to and and just like the beginnings of a, a congregation and that's how they began that's how churches proliferated um, 
in China in the 20s, 30s and 40s uh, of the last century. And of course, basically what's called the Brethren Movement in England, the Primus Brethren, that's how they proliferated much nearer to God's pattern than, say, the Baptist setup or the Congregational setup or the um, Anglican setup. Obviously, there was no thought in Paul's mind or the Apostle's mind of uh, the prayer book and the uh, and some of you, well, you 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 realize the seriousness of this. Um, per, um, what should I say? How should I put it? If I think of the amount of people that were in brethren churches, for instance, let's say, uh, I don't know the exact figures, but uh, some people have worked it out, uh, that... Um, there were, because of the way that the Brethren Church is much more scriptural in their pattern, not led by a pastor, not led uh, by the congregation so much, but by an eldership, the amount of people, of men and their wives who entered into ministry uh, is far higher than, say, uh, nowadays in the in the assemblies of God it's very interesting for, to Hazel and I for instance there's one country that we go to um, and in that country we go to many charismatic churches and have many friends in assemblies of God churches and so on and we also go to brethren assemblies the difference is quite marked in those assemblies, in the young people that attend and the 25-year-olds and the 30-year-olds and the 35-year-olds. In the assemblies of God, uh, there are so few young men who have any heart to truly care for the church and participate in church meetings and contribute because uh, unless you join the band or go through a Bible college, you you can't, well, you, you don't do anything. And, of course, the pastor's wage is pretty low, so why go into that? And then we go to the Brethren Assembly and the amount of young men that are participating um, and carrying some sense of responsibility and ready, some of them, to, along with others, move to another suburb and begin another church over there. It, it's actually quite remarkable to face it. And, and, and you realize how departure from God's ways uh, always have ramifications. And departure from God's simplicity has ramifications and the tendency to complexity. Um, it, it really does mean that uh, administration and that kind of thing is one of the reasons why uh, I tend to 
feel that I know that in the days that are coming in the churches today, um, the missionary societies will gradually disappear. They won't be able to function. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking of works that we have been involved in, missionary works in different countries. How very wise has been, say, the brother and his wife who pioneered a uh, perhaps an orphanage um, and in their, the country where they've been working. But at the same time, they pioneered a church. Um, a church alongside the orphanage. And, of course, in the end, the orphanage will, if it's going to continue, if the mission is going to continue of the orphanage, it will be entirely dependent upon the church. Um, entirely dependent, because the missionaries will have to go and the and the outside help will dry up the finance. And uh, again, I think of this. Um, some of you uh, <clears throat> may have heard of a man who first went to Baghdad with his wife. And um, he was a dentist from Exeter, actually, in the beginnings of the 19th century. And... Uh, he was a very interesting man. Uh, does anyone know his name? Anyone here remember his name? Um, anyone? He's called the Father of Faith Missions. His name's Anthony Norris Groves. And he was a dentist in Exeter who felt the call of God and was so confident that God would supply and keep. He went to Baghdad, tough time there, and in time he found himself in southern India. And some of you will have heard of uh, what went on down there. But he stayed in southern India for decades, trusted the Lord refused to take any money in the churches from the West, um, to finance the churches that came into being. And if I recall it right, there was something like three or 400 churches, brethren churches, that he left behind. And uh, they had no thought of full-time workers needing money from outside. Um, even in poor southern India, the whole sense of responsibility of giving and support to those that were particularly gifted, larger than the local congregation. And all of this, of course, promoted the sense of responsibility. Um, and now I'm not advocating any denomination particularly. Uh, I am saying that there are ways that the church is to function and gather that are much nearer God's heart, much nearer God's heart, and that if we really want to be brought under his sway and really want to be ready for days of persecution, 
So some of you there um, who are from Poland, um, some of you will remember, sorry, there's someone sending me messages. Um, uh, yeah, would you mind, Lauren? Uh, you'll remember the days, of course, where house meetings, secret meetings, meetings in forests was the order of the day. And certainly I can recall that in other Eastern Bloc countries. And even as recently as, what, five or six years ago when Hadra and I were last in China, uh, the same thing. And I can remember once us going to one of the places out in the countryside mm-hmm. um, where we there was an illegal little Bible school going on for young people. And on the way, we heard the police sirens. And, uh, you know, we had to pull off the road and hide temporarily. Um, thankfully, they weren't going to the, the place Um and we were able to continue. <clears throat> but much more nearer the simplicities as people gathered. And uh, as I say, there is a cost to complexity. Um, you know, uh, there's a cost to the walk of faith. There's a cost to the promotion of a sense of care and responsibility in the church. He's the pastor, let him do it. He's been to Bible college, let him prepare the message. He, he, he knows how to preach, these sorts of things. And so you, you, you gradually get into the un, unwanted elitism and the structures of things. Of course, all of this is quite foreign to the churches um, in the scriptures quite foreign and of course it doesn't mean that those who practice these things are not a church uh, but it, it it does mean that in it inhibits true uh, growth in many hearts um, a sense of responsibility in men so that even some of us who are meeting you know well we've organized he's going to do the preaching and that's that this doesn't of course mean for one moment that you don't have space given if you have um paul the apostle on site in acts 20 uh you know you 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 let him go on all night and even if uh, Eftikius falls out the window <laughs> you, you know if this <laughs> if this uh, if this apostle has got something to say can give of the riches of his understanding and impart it to those who are younger and one of the signs of course is the me me generation um is of course i mean the fact that young people aren't interested in listening to others. It's me, 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 me. We've had a good example of the me, me generation when a young couple in the world had an interview with a black lady screened on TV last Sunday. And we had a really good look at a, 
a couple in the me, me generation. Poor me, poor me, poor me. And that's the spirit. It's in the churches. It's in the churches. And uh, sad to say. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, uh, we've all got to know the cross dealing with me and I. You know, you've got to die, young person. Old person, you've got to die. Your ideas have got to die. It's all got to go to the cross. It's the new man. And the nearer we can get to the life and the ways of the new man, that's what we want. That's what we want. Uh, because one of the wonderful things about God's ways, of course, the simplicity of God's ways, very, very hard to stamp out the church if you can't infiltrate the hierarchy of that church. Very difficult to stamp it out. You know, it's the structure of the church in simplicity is actually made to thrive in an atmosphere of persecution. You know, because so many have got the life in their hearts. They've got the church in their hearts. And if I may say this to you, um, you know, Ephesians, well, I'll turn you there. I know I haven't got quite to the 14th of, uh, of 1 Corinthians yet. But if you go into the, the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, for instance, and these are fundamentals that have got to happen in our hearts. Uh, Paul uses this uh, phrase. He's talking about the church. He's talking about Jew and Gentile in the context um, but we could spread it to male, female. We could think of old and young and so on. And about the church being one body. And you know how he talks about it. Um, and I'm in the 16th verse of Ephesians 2. You just look there where he's talking. He himself is our peace, peace between Jew, Gentile, old, young. He himself is our peace, God and man, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so to, as to create in himself one new man from the two. That's Jew and Gentile in the context. Thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body by the cross. One body by the cross is the phrase that I'm aiming at, that he might reconcile them both to God. How? In one body, reconcile them to God in one body by the cross. That's the way. By the cross, he did it. 
And you know that, of course, um, it's that cross, you and I, knowing that cross going through, if I may put it this way, the natural eye. Um, you know, this morning I was doing this other Zoom meeting and one of the things that I was focusing on is that uh, when they came out of Egypt, they carried with them a mixed multitude. And the trouble that constantly they carried with them had its roots in the mixed multitude, the mixed multitude. The host that went up with all their animals and the cows, the cattle, the sheep and so on. Uh, and, you know, they were the ones who complained and said, well, where should we get water? What should we do about water for the flocks and all the rest of it? And they were constantly uh, a thorn in the side of what God wanted to do. And let it be clear, even in your church, where you are, make it clear in your heart that you are carrying with you a mixed multitude. So if it's a Baptist church, there's a mixed multitude there. The multitude in your congregation may be 10 people who are not really one body because the cross has not gone through their animal desires, their natural desires, what they want. They're yet to come under Christ. They're yet to really be knit into the body. They're mixed. I sometimes wonder, actually, how many of this mixed multitude were circumcised. You know, which means, of course, uh, in New Testament terms, they weren't circumcised in heart. So let this be clear, uh, even about uh, an emerging congregation and an emerging assembly uh, that is being formed. We must not place any aspect of church life into the hands of an uncircumcised heart. Now, I can say these things to you if I was to say these in these things into some church in some church settings, they would look at me as though I was crazy. Oh, he can play the guitar, let him be in the band. Definitely not. Definitely not. Um, or you can play the keyboard, let him do this. Definitely not. Oh, he's got quite a charismatic uh, approach to him. Let's send him to Bible college. Um, you know, these are ways in which we have departed so much from God's ways. God's work in God's way shall never lack God's supply is what uh, Hudson Taylor said about missionary work. And he was right on. He was right on. Let's 
God's way in church life. And, you know, what is the use of a man being a pastor if he hasn't got a heart like this? So I'm in Ephesians chapter 5 now. And there in chapter 5, and many young men, many young people who we meet in prominent places, in churches that we visit, they do not have this heart, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I was talking to a pastor this week who was bemoaning the fact that... um, You know, he cannot find one young man who loves the church enough that he's prepared to give his life for it. He must be out there increasing his wage packet. He must be out there pleasing his wife and getting enough money to to get his kids the best of this and that and the other. And that's a good church that he's in, and he regularly preaches there, and he's not without a great burden to gather the young men, and he's done it through the years, and he's, he's almost ready to give up. He's almost ready to give up. And, uh, but here's Ephesians 5, you see, about our Lord Jesus, and it says in Ephesians 5, about the Lord Jesus loving the church. She's his bride, isn't she? And it says here that Christ, do do you see this? Verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He loved the church and gave himself for her. Um, Bless the Lord. Um, That's what Christ did. He gave himself for her. Am I, have I, through the years, has my wife uh, with me? Have we so loved Christ, so loved the church, that we've given ourselves for it. And we'll give ourselves for it till the end. Not a bit of ourselves, but give ourselves for the church. All these things must be underneath. Uh, Out of this heart will rise total self-giving. Out of this kind of heart will rise the gifts and ministries of the Spirit. Out of this will come the true prophetic ministry that knows what it is charged to do. You see, the true prophetic ministry in the New Testament is not wholly unlike the prophetic ministry in the Old Testament. Uh, I'm leading on to chapter 14 of Corinthians. It's all right. You see, because Paul is wanting to emphasize, and he's had this burden on his heart, you're on earth to be a prophetic church. You're not here to entertain. 
You're not here to be a happy social gathering. You're here to be people who uh, embody my spirit. You're my temple. Where you show forth with a great clarity. You are a prophetic church, a prophetic people. And, of course, the New Testament prophetic ministry is not unlike the Jeremiah ministry because the Lord, of course, called um, Jeremiah as a young man. And you go into the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah and you definitely find uh, a component of uh, or a ministry made up of six parts mm. that he was commanded by God to do. You you probably know this already, um, and I suppose I'm doing it a little bit now, and I could only wish, brothers and sisters, with all my heart, that I could say these things in an Assemblies of God Bible college or a Baptist Bible college and not fill people up with the nonsense that I was taught. 90% of what I heard was totally unnecessary to what constitutes the real ministry. And I was in a good evangelical well-known college and in order to get the bits of paper I had to listen to things and learn things that were quite superfluous to the real issues because the real matter I wish I could say these things Jeremiah was called verse 10 of chapter 1 uh, I've this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, to plant. Six things. Six things. And let it be known, you cannot build God's building, neither can you plant God's seed, unless first it is necessary that under the leading and in the power of the Spirit, lives are rid of what's been built in them already. What's wrong? They're rooted out. The weeds that people have learned, the weeds of humanism, the weeds, and it really is a warfare. Uh, if I may say this, the weeds of traditionalism. Jesus, the prophet, supreme. What was he doing with Nicodemus? Rooting out. What was he doing with the Pharisees before he could plant, build them up and plant them in them? He was tearing down the edifice of religion 
and traditionalism that had been established amongst them. He couldn't build up. It was necessary. Thank the Lord that this need not be a a demolition site with the great big ball on the end of the crane smashing into things, devastating everything. Thank God that this can go on with the minimum of trouble. But I tell you, our fellowship, some of you come from a fellowship background. You know, it happens to us as well. You know, it happens to us. Do you know there is a word? And it is for you. And it is this. Receive the spirit. If you know, of course, the Acts of the Apostles. Peter said that, having talked about Repent, when they asked him, what should we do? Repent, he said to them. Be baptized. He doesn't say anything about believing the right things. You notice he skips that. And he said, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Implicit in their repentance was believing, implicit in being baptized in Jesus' name was repentance, implicit in that. And hallelujah, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. And the word of God to you uh, today, today, every one of us, young and old, Receive the Spirit, still the same word. Say, well, I received him 40 years ago and we managed to pioneer a church in Exeter and 50 years ago in, uh, we received the Spirit in 1966 and we pioneered a church in, in Palmer's Green, London and we pioneered another one in Reading, England and then we pioneered another one in Exeter and then we did it in Australia and, you know, we received the Spirit then and the Lord says to us, Receive the Spirit today, Bernard. Breathe in the Spirit today. Know the Spirit's counsel. Know the Spirit's spontaneity. Know the Spirit's quickening. Know the Spirit's life. Know the freshness of the Spirit today. Don't rejoice simply in what happened 50 years ago, 55 years ago, 40 years ago. You know, all that's turned into tradition. Exeter turned into tradition. You understand this and that and the other. And the one who is utterly antagonistic (laughs) is the spirit. That's why when I come in to 1 Corinthians 14, I come into the atmosphere of an apostle with wounds on his back, marks upon his life, who's living in the fullness of the Holy Ghost life. 
who has given his life for the church, who has loved the church and given his life for it, and will continue to do so till the end of his life. He's a true minister who just doesn't give him a 60-minute sermon or 35-minute, depending upon their whim. Oh, I don't like anything longer than 20 minutes. The whim of the animal mixed multitude in the church who know not God. I'm speaking very, very, uh, maybe you don't like it, but this is the truth of it. This is the truth of where we are. And, uh, you know, hallelujah. That's what I say, hallelujah to the Lord and his ways. And I come into the 14th of 1 Corinthians, and I come into this atmosphere where Paul wants them not to drop tongues, not to drop the other gifts, but he's wanting them all to prophesy. And mark it clearly, this is not a male province. This is not male province. He is, he's already spoken quite clearly. And in another session, we'll talk a little bit about ladies and, and so on and, and the verses in chapter 14. Uh, that seem to contradict this, but he already in chapter 11, he has categorically said, verse 4, every man praying and prophesying. And then verse 5, every woman praying and prophesying. Praying and prophesying. Speaking by the Spirit, quickened by the Spirit, every woman, every woman, every man, this that we are talking about is a fulfillment of one of the wonderful things that Jesus died for and uh, that Peter talks about when they ask him whatever's going on all these men speaking in our language and ladies also for sure because they all were speaking who gathered in the upper room when the spirit filled them they all were speaking inspired utterance and they weren't throwing, and this might give you a little bit of light, by the way, on the verses in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Do you realize that there were lady prophets? There were people who came unto, into ecstasy in Corinth in the mystery religions, the worship of Cybele, the worship of um, the different gods and goddesses. So there were prophets and prophetesses. And part of the whole purpose of the ministry in those temples, those false temples, was that people should become ecstatic and that the ladies with uncovered heads would throw their heads back 
and their hair would flash around and they'd ruffle their hair and they'd make a display that they were in ecstasy and they were beside themselves and they were under the power of Church of Jesus Christ. None of that. When I talk about inspiration, Paul is saying, when I talk about ministry in the church of God, I'm not talking about that kind of craziness. And if any of you know about this, I have actually seen this in the mush pit at a church I've been preaching at where the young people have got so carried away by the music that they've gotten into the mush pit and they're being carried. It's like Glastonbury or whatever you like. And this is the madness. This is not what you're to be. And the Corinthians had gotten into this kind of thing. It's one of the reasons why they were so spirit conscious they had been truly graced, truly received the Spirit, but they thought that tongues were so much the mark. And they were getting ecstatic, which is why in the 14th year of 1 Corinthians, he has to regulate their lives about tongues. No, no, no. Whatever you do in the congregation, when the whole church is together, he says, let it all be done to build one another up. The word edification, to build up, it, it comes again and again. To build up. And if I may point out to you in Acts 2, when they were asking what's What's happened? All these ladies, Mary, the mother of Jesus, speaking in tongues and, and praising God in, in, an, in her vernacular as well. And others, ladies there with the 120. What's happened? This is that said the blessed apostle Peter that in the last days says God. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. That is, you remember in the Old Testament, the spirit had been poured out on different members of the community. You had maybe Ezekiel and Jeremiah and a few select ones out of the community of Israel, just a few. You had Elijah in his days and a thousand prophets hidden in caves by Obadiah, though they didn't seem to be doing much prophesying. And, uh, you know, are you seeing? But in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons, your daughters, prophesy, your young men shall see visions. It won't be a select handful. It'll be, it won't be predominantly male. 
Your old men shall dream dreams, men servants and maid servants. I will pour out my spirit and they shall have inspired utterance. That's why I'm changing the word prophecy. They will know the inspiration of the spirit. Now, you know, that which comes inspired, you know, in a funny kind of way, Prophecy and ministry is the expiration of what has been inspired. So, you know, if I'm bringing some word from the heart of God today by his blessed spirit, then it's simply because I'm expiring in a way what I've been inspiring. I've been taking in. Are you understanding me? Inspired, inspired. And one of the sure marks of the, of the true prophetic ministry, this inspired utterance, is found in 1 Corinthians 14. Where this will be true. This will be one of the clear marks that you've been in a true New Testament meeting. End of verse 25, 1 Corinthians 14. The phrase at the end of verse 25 God is truly among you. That'll be the report. God is truly among you. Oh, what was the meeting like this afternoon in uh, in Exeter or in um, Heathfield? Or, you know, uh, what was the meeting like in? This afternoon, when the church gathered in the life of Christ, oh, here's my report. God was truly among us. You're getting it? That's the real mark. Or I think of Rora House um, here in Devon. What was the report? Oh, God was truly among us that's it that pentecostal morning (laughs) what's the report god's doing something there god's speaking look at what it's producing they're they're loving one another jew and gentile are loving one another they're one body by the cross Look what's going on. Isn't it tremendous? Isn't it tremendous? I don't know whether, um, you know, I'm sort of, I'm not an idealist, but I I tell you, um, in one way, God is. (laughs) He has created the ideal and he wants us to come into it. He has given us the spirit of that ideal and he wants us to come in to such a communion with the spirit 
that we begin to live the ideal, that we die. We go through the sound barrier. And uh, from the depths of our hearts, that dear woman at the well, I, I like, don't you like her? She, she goes back after a conversation with Jesus, you see. And it was a conversation of revelation. It was inspired. Of course, everything Jesus said was inspired. It came from his father. Isn't that right? Do you, you, do you remember them talking to Jesus? Show us a father. You know, where's your father? We're of our father, the of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're of your father, the devil. That's who you came from. And he said that to believers. You read chapter 8 of John. It's very dramatic. He challenges them. But our Lord Jesus, he, he says, he said, my father's with me. Well, where is he? Where is he? Do you know? I don't know. Jesus said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he's in me. I only do what the Father says. Jesus was the, the walking inspired one. Every word was words that were breaking down, rooting out, building and sowing, weren't they? Weren't they? Am I right? I mean, this, this is the thing. And... Um, because he was filled with the Spirit and filled with the Father, and the he was constantly breathing in, if I may put it that way, that he might breathe out. Do you remember what Paul was breathing out when his name was Saul and he was on his way to Damascus? <laughs> It says, it says in chapter 9 of Acts that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. I always think of the old steam trains when I read that verse. You know, all the stuff being, <laughs> all the smoke coming out of the smokestack and everything, you know, and all the steam coming out alongside. And Paul was just inspired. <laughs> with a wrong spirit. <laughs> and that's why he was so changed. You know, when he went through his Calvary and was blinded because he saw a light above the brightness of every natural light. A light above all the brightness of the sun and every natural light. And he passed in. Isn't this wonderful? that God uh, wants us to be like this so that our meetings become that God is truly among you. God is truly among you. Hear him. You, he's speaking. He's loving. He's touching. Perhaps he's healing. Sometimes he will. God is truly among you. Ah, so Paul has to regulate their life, you see. Because they had gotten it wrong. They thought the ecstasy was all to do with the tongue speaking and everything like that. And 
you know, by his argumentation that to a degree is not relevant to us uh, because their mouths were open. You've all got that. (laughs) Their mouths were open. Um, Their their mouths were open with gifts, with tongues, you see. Uh, And our mouths are not. Uh, Paul actually, lest they should think that he was... um, against tongues and against their tongue speaking you probably notice that he he is in the first person singular and he he says verse 6 of chapter 14 if i come to you speaking with tongues what shall i profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Are you understanding, are we understanding that a man in his private life, in his private communion with the Lord, should be a tongue speaker? And that speaking mysteries in the spirit sometimes those mysteries are interpreted and tongues that he has spoken in private may emerge at some later hour in his thinking in the form of what have you got there in verse 6 in the form of revelation. Revelation, brothers and sisters, far exceeds the quality of education. What we have got in most of our churches is education. Education is a thing of the mind. It is from mind to mind. But revelation is from spirit to spirit. John saw revelation. John would for sure have been a tongue speaker. And when Paul is talking about himself, he says something about his tongue speaking, doesn't he? He said, I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, that's quite a statement. How many of you walk down the street speaking in tongues? Hmm. You see. The blessed spirit so rising in your inner heart that you you walk down the street speaking in tongues. I mean, I'm not saying you're bawling your head off so that, you know, the people in the supermarket sort of think, what's this guy going on about? <laughs> I'm not talking about that. <laughs> you know, there's discreetness about this. You see, but Paul, he's telling you a little bit about his private devotions. He's giving you a hint. I speak with tongues more than you all. Look at this hint that he gives you. In verse 14 of chapter 14, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. 
Or don't you want to bless your spirit? My spirit prays. Don't you want to exercise that mystic side of you? You know, oh, the mystic. You know, that word, some people hate it. I was last night, very late, searching for a hymn in what's called the Hymns of Eternal Length. And that was the nickname <laughs> given to a hymn book we used to sing from. <laughs> and uh, it's called the Hymns of Eternal Truth. That's its proper name. And there are 120 hymns of that were written by Charles Weatherly, one or two of Paul Gerhardt in there as well, and of John. But I was just going through the whole book, scanning through, looking for a particular hymn, and the amount of times I find dear Charles Wesley and John using the word mystic. And I thought, oh, here's one verse in uh, uh, the hymn actually I was looking for. Prisoner of hope. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether we're prisoners of hope, by the way. Uh, you know, it's not a phrase out of the Bible, uh, but it's a prison. It's a. You know, when you get imprisoned with hope, imprisoned with hope, you become a prisoner where you so hope for something better for your church, hope for something better for yourself, hope for something, you know, that you've seen something forgot from God about what meetings are to be and what life is to be in Christ, and you become imprisoned to that hope. Oh, I must have it, Lord. He said, prisoner of hope, to thee I turn, and calmly confident I mourn. Calmly confident I mourn, and pray and weep for thee. Tell me thy love, thy secret tell, thy mystic name in me. Reveal, reveal thyself in me. He's talking about a work of God. He's going to go on in that hymn. You know, uh, they're wonderful, Wesley's hymns. If you haven't come across any of some of these in their length, you see the way he leads us through. doesn't matter if you can't sing them, if the tune just Read the poetry. Today I was reading the poetry of Paul Simon briefly. Who's Paul Simon? Anyone know? He used to sing with someone called Garfunkel. And one of his famous songs was The Sound of Silence. Wonder if you've ever read the five verses that that lost man seeking for something, what what he wrote. It's quite a moving poem that he wrote. He writes of people uh, that speak and do not listen, and who. What is it they hear? 
there's a, there's another line, but it, I, I understand exactly what the man is trying to articulate. The sound of silence. You see, I, and you know, the muse was upon him when he wrote that, as the muse was upon the, you know, I saw a host of golden daffodils. Some of you know that poem, don't you? You know about all the daffodils that he was, is it lines from Tintan Abbey? And uh, I saw a host of golden daffodils. I saw them. Oh, they're lovely, lovely yellow flowers. <laughs> no, he's not talking about that. He saw them. I, he saw them. He really saw their beauty. He saw something. He didn't know God. He was under a general muse that some come under. And here's John and Charles Wesley in their hymns, and they're talking about not a muse. They're talking about the blessed spirit that they had wonderfully received and were receiving and were receiving and were receiving. If you were to sit down and read a sermon of that friend of theirs you who died much younger than they, named George Whitfield, you read a sermon, you think, wherever did all this come from? He was constantly drinking of the spirit and it was inspired utterance that went right to the hearts of people. You see, we're talking about something wonderful here and Paul is telling us, what will I profit you? You see, one of the ways that the gifts the art that are articulated with the understanding. I will pray in a tongue, verse 14. My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. That's all right. That's all right. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. He's some of his, uh, a little window into his private devotions. I will pray with the spirit. That's in tongues. I will pray with the understanding also. I will also sing with the Spirit. That's in tongues. This is Paul talking. What kind of voice did he have? Was it like gravel? Was he a bass, baritone or tenor? Or a falsetto, countertenor? What was he? You understand? What was he? What was Freddie Mercury? Was he a baritone? Was he a tenor? He had an immense range. You know, what kind of voice did Paul have? It's, we're not interested in how beautiful he sounded. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Wonderful. So, you Corinthians, if you bless with the Spirit, verse 16, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks because he doesn't understand what you're saying? Aim at prophecy. That's how the 
the the chapter begins, doesn't it? Pursue love and desire spirituals, but especially that you might have inspired utterance. Oh, how shall I get inspired utterance? When Jesus talked to the woman at the well, she went rushing back, flooded with uh, a new life to the men. And she said to the men, she said to them, come and see a man. Because she drunk a little of his water. And it had come in her beginning to rise up. That's how the spirit of God works in us. This is the true ministry. You drink of the spirit. You receive the spirit day by day. And Jesus said to her, the water that I shall give you shall be in you a well of springing water, springing up into everlasting life. You know these verses. What am I doing? Uh, what am I saying? I'm, I'm saying that there is that for us all. Oh, that all God's people were prophets, eh? That's what dear Moses said, do you remember? Gather the 70 men. It's no good having them unless they've got some of the spirit that's on you upon them. Let's give them some responsibility among the flock. And they gathered them and, you know, 68 of them gathered and God took of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on those men and they prophesied. <laughs> and Eldad and Medad were out in the camp and they started prophesying even though they weren't in the approved place. You know, oh, and they came along and said, oh, those, those men are prophesying. And tell them to stop, you know. And uh, Moses said, oh, that all God's people were prophets. You see, you know that Jesus is the everlasting word. You know, don't you think that he wants his name to be spoken forth by the same spirit who gave it him? His work to be sent, set forth, his victory spoken of. I haven't even got to meetings yet. I haven't even got to verse 26 yet, you see. But the hints that you're all getting, that if we become authentic churches, I tell you, we'll be in such a dimension of spontaneity. You know the springing water in your bosom rising up into your minds, granting to you uh, utterance within uh, the, uh, the format of the gathering. You know the way that you gather. Each one of you, when you come together, I'm back in verse 26, each of you has a psalm. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Has a psalm. Have you read the psalms lately? Have you, have you read the content? 
Have you read the glorious worship and praise? Have you read the sharing of the heart of David and the others? Have you read their prayers? Have you and I read the substance? They're not little little ditties. They're just not, you see. Everyone has a psalm. You know, an inspired, you know, this word psalm contains a number of things to it. Uh, among them, of course, is something that is unpremeditated. It, it's not a learned song. It's something that's just on the spot that just rises. Um, I've known some people who were very much gifted that way. And they they were liberated at times in a meeting to, to sing out words of edification. And it was very, very edifying. It was very liberating. Uh, it really was the beginnings of a, a running river that flowed through the midst of the street of the meeting. You know... <laughs> You know, I, I personally, I have to say this to you, that I couldn't be satisfied. I can never be satisfied with going into a meeting where everything's mapped out. I, I can't be satisfied with going into a meeting which is just the same as last week. I can't be satisfied unless there's this sense of God's quickening spirit given spontaneity that releases things. Now you can all see, and we'll have to go through some of these things further next time we meet. If you want to, I, I want to. I haven't done this justice yet. Um, more needs to be said. But I tell you, you can see that the churches of today have got to travel a long way to come anywhere near what I'm talking about. There's stuff that's got to be torn down, and torn down it will be. It's got to go. It's got to go. It will be encouraged and promoted perhaps by gathering in the smaller groups that I began with, that being forced upon us. Where if there's going to be any edifying, you know, then people will have to come together with pure hearts and clean hands, loving the church, caring for one another, all of which the love will be the oil that makes the things to begin to flow. You see, the church has got to travel a long way and we all, we all have got to travel a long way in our individual lives, you see, from the, you know, perhaps some of you have got to begin by doing more tongue-speaking in private, you know, talking to the Lord in that tongue for a minute or two that, that you've neglected, you've neglected, or you see, and you say, what good? It, 
your spirit's praying it your, your spirit in fellowship with the holy spirit you're saying things not things that are meaningless things that maybe in a meeting would come into the form of a clarity to your understanding so that you be would be able to bring a vision doesn't paul say and what will it profit unless i i, I bring uh, it by revelation or knowledge or by prophesying or by teaching you know your young men shall your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions there we are so i'm nearly about an hour and 20 minutes i've been mm. speaking to you so i will draw to an end there uh, encouraging you very very much You know, I have had to travel. I'm continuing to have to travel in my heart into the release of the spirit. Don't be afraid because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Paul's going to say that in this same chapter. We're not talking about the ecstasy of the crazy men and women in the mystery religions, in the cults. The spirit of the prophet. I can stop now. Subject to the prophet. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I'm stopping, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> hallelujah hallelujah let's pray for this let's cry to god for it let's give ourselves to it to him you know let's love the church let's see this happen there's catherine down there hello catherine praise the lord yeah let's uh thank you bernard that's Let's respond together, shall we, if different ones would just lead us in, in prayer. That would be wonderful. We want to pray that we would, for this real release of the spirit in our, in our lives, that we would constantly drink, be drinking of him. So uh, if you would just lead us, that would be wonderful. Yes, Lord.